Does truth exist? Because you have faith, does that make this book true? Does God exist? So when someone says there is no truth, if you apply the claim to itself, what should you say? Is that true? They don't think Christianity is true. They're talked out of it. You know why they're talked out of it? Because they've never been talked into it. Cross-examining skeptical and atheistic views. Welcome to Cross-Examine with Dr. Frank Turek. If you're listening to this radio broadcast or the podcast, you need to go back and listen to last week's if you haven't listened to it yet, because we're continuing a conversation with Dr. Craig Keener on miracles. His book, two-volume set called Miracles, the Credibility of the New Testament Accounts. And uh, last time we covered... Uh, Modern-day miracles, we covered the difference between uh, the miracles that you read about in the New Testament and miracles, uh, miracle accounts from other miracle accounts in the ancient world. What is the difference? How well attested are the New Testament accounts compared to other supposed ancient miracles? We talked about satanic signs last week, satanic activity. How do we distinguish the false signs of Satan from the true signs from God? Uh, we talked about all that, and we're going to continue the conversation with Dr. Keener right now. Uh, Dr. Keener is a Ph.D. from Duke University. He now teaches uh, New Testament at Asbury Theological Seminary. He's written several amazing books. The one we're talking about today, Dr. Craig Evans said, uh, is arguably the best book ever written on the subject of miracles. I would concur. Two-volume set. And uh, Craig, before we... Uh, uh, before we get back into the uh, information here uh, on miracles, can you just give us a little background about a book you wrote with your wife? Because I think our listeners would want to know that, uh, because that's more of a personal story. What is that book about? Thank, thank you for asking about that one. Um, it's called Impossible Love, which actually my wife, my wife came up with the title. Usually our publishers come up with our titles, but um, it's, it's our story, our romance story, uh, and everybody's romance story is is nice, but ours uh, ours was complicated. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and it's we met at Duke University. I was doing my PhD there. She was doing her PhD at University of Paris Seven, but was an exchange student. We met through InterVarsity Christian Fellowship, and we were both shy. <laughs> So uh, we didn't actually express our interest in each other that we already had right away. Uh, it actually took us 15, well, yeah, about 11 years to get together, technically. But, uh, <laughs> no sense rushing into anything, Craig. <laughs> yeah, that's right. You, you see how long it takes me to write a book. But that's anyway, right. she, she, uh, she ended up being a war refugee, and that's about half the book. She spent 18 months as a war refugee. So um, that's why... You know, the book is, well, that's the exciting, most interesting part of the book, probably for, for most readers. But it's it's most of all a story about God's grace and God's faithfulness in our lives. So there was a civil war in the Congo, and she yeah. was on the run for a year and a half? Yeah. No, they weren't running for all that time. Sometimes uh-huh. they would stop in the outskirts of a village or something like that. Uh, they didn't have a home there, but... Yeah, they were they were away from they were displaced as refugees for eighteen months. 
Now, how did you reconnect? Because she went, you're saying she went back from Duke to the Congo. And then how did you reconnect with her? Well, you know, we, we had kept in touch by, by letter. And after a few years, actually, it came out that we liked each other. But um, <laughs> I, I, I wasn't sure, like, well, I was hesitant. So anyway, she ended up going back to Congo. She was caught up in the war. The home was burned. Her family home was burned. So the address book was burned. There's no way that she can find me again. So she asked a friend to ask a friend in France after after the war was over how to get in touch with me. And the, uh, the, the they didn't know who I was. They just were looking for the Craig Keener who writes books. Uh-huh. Now, there is another Craig Keener who writes books, uh, another Craig S. Keener who writes books. He writes on Native American archaeology. So uh-huh. I, I joke sometimes to, to my wife, Nadine, you could have married the wrong Craig Keener. But anyway... <laughs> They, they found me, and, and then we reconnected, and um, yeah. And it's now called Impossible Love is the book? Yeah. When yeah. did you get married? How long ago? That would have been um, March 13th, 2002. It actually was a Friday the 13th, which shows uh-huh. we don't buy into superstition. Right. But uh, the, the reason for the date specifically was because We'd already missed our first wedding date. It was hard to get the visa uh, because it happened, you know, it was it was right after 9-11, so it was hard right. to get visas. And she, uh, she and I wanted to get married soon after she came. You know, we, we already were engaged, and uh, paying for the separate apartments to stay in was expensive. So uh, the sooner we could get married, the better at that point. And uh, that was... That was the first date we could do it. <laughs> well, there you go. Now, do you have any children? Yes, we have two children, David and Karen. And David is a uh, David is a music major, and Karen is still deciding. Still deciding. All right. Well, <laughs> blessings. So, for if people really want to know the story, they can get the book "Impossible Love." by Craig and his wife, Craig Keener, K-E-E-N-E-R. Uh, so he's, uh, he's not just a theological machine. He puts out all these amazing books. He's got an amazing personal life as well that you want to read about. So, Craig, let's get now get back to the subject of miracles. Uh, atheists often ask a question, uh, and in fact, uh, Michael Shermer, who I've debated, you know, often asks the question, well, if God heals, and you've got many documentation, or much documentation of of healings in your two-volume set. If God heals, then why doesn't he heal amputees? You know, he talks about, well, uh, Iraq war veterans come back. Why doesn't he heal them? What would you say to somebody who says that? Yeah, I don't, I, you know, honestly, I don't have very many accounts of that. Uh, and, uh-huh. and the accounts that I do have aren't very well documented. So um, that's that's true. Although we don't have it happening in the Bible much either. We do have some visible miracles. We do have, like, um, goiters instantly and publicly disappearing in people's sight and things like that. Uh, but there are some things... We, uh, since the book was written, I got an account of someone who... It's sort of like an amputee, and this is Bruce Van Nate. Uh He was 
crushed. He was working under a semi-truck, and the axle gave out, and he, he his abdomen was crushed. It pretty much destroyed his small intestine, and uh, the surgeries taking out the destroyed parts didn't didn't leave a whole lot of it. In fact, for uh, one part of his small intestine, the, the ileum, which is absolutely necessary for the processing of food, he had just a, such a small part left. It was like one-tenth of, of the normal length of the ileum. So uh, one of his friends in New York felt led to fly to Wisconsin and pray for Bruce. And when he prayed for him, Bruce felt something like a jolt of, of electrical power going through his body. And after that, he could eat fine. And the doctors who examined it afterwards found that the small intestine had uh, more than doubled in length and was mm-hmm. now in, you know, not the normal length, but certainly was adequate for his needs. The small intestine in an adult can grow wider, but it cannot grow longer. So this is the equivalent of something that was amputated growing back. Hmm. Hmm. Well, we're talking to Dr. Craig Keener, his two-volume set called Miracles. We've got a lot more to cover in this program, so you don't want to miss it. And uh, we'll talk about signs of an apostle. We'll talk about some other aspects of miracles in this program. And again, his two-volume set is called Miracles, The Credibility of the New Testament Accounts. And also check out CraigKeener.com, Craig Keener, K-E-E-N-E-R, for a lot more. He's got a written blog, video blog up there. I'm Frank Turk. We're back in just two minutes. If you're listening to this program today and did not listen last week, go back and listen to last week because this is a two-parter we're having with Dr. Craig Keener and his amazing two-volume set called Miracles. This is sort of like trying to read Acts without reading Luke, okay? This is a two-parter. Luke wrote Luke, and then he wrote the book of Acts. Uh, so if you're just trying to pick it up in Acts, you'll be really informed if you go back and, and listen to Luke. Not that this is inspired or anything, but it's a two-parter. We covered a lot last week. We're covering more this week. Uh, And uh, we also want to talk a little bit about what the purpose of miracles is. We haven't talked about that yet. So, Dr. Keener, what is the purpose of biblical miracles? Well, in in Matthew chapter 11, I think it's verses 5 and 6, and then it's also in Luke 7, 22 and 23 or or thereabouts, we have Jesus answering the question of John the Baptist. John the Baptist is is in prison. He's probably going to die soon, and actually he, he does die soon. He's the one who proclaimed that the one coming after him would baptize in the Holy Spirit and in fire. And he hears about Jesus' miracles, and he's like, okay, this is good, but this isn't the Holy Spirit and fire. So he sends messengers to Jesus and says, are you the one to come, or should we look for somebody else? And Jesus answers them indirectly by using the wording of Isaiah 35 and Isaiah 61, about um, the disabled leaping for, for joy, blind eyes being healed, deaf ears being healed, and um, the good news being preached to the poor, and so on. And what those allusions would have suggested to John, who, who knew the Scriptures, was that 
yeah, you're not seeing the full impact of the kingdom. The kingdom is already not yet. John didn't didn't know that part. Didn't know some things are still off, but some things are already happening. And so he he cites from Isaiah 35 about these healings, but the context of these healings is the restoration of God's people and of and of creation. Uh, and and again, that's the context of Isaiah 61. You know, there's going to be a new heavens and a new earth in Isaiah 65, and so. Jesus is communicating to John, these are signs of the kingdom. It's not the full consummation of the kingdom. It's like, you know, you have a, a mustard seed versus the, the tree or a little leaven uh, that's put in the loaf before it's all leavened. This this is a sign. It's a foretaste of the kingdom of God. And he does the same thing with the casting out of demons, uh, Matthew twelve twenty eight and Luke eleven twenty. If I buy the uh, Spirit of God or the finger of God cast out demons, then God's kingdom has come upon you. So these were these were signs, foretastes of the promise of the future. Mm. And there's a couple of things that come to my mind when you bring up those passages. One is, notice, and this is for our listeners, obviously Dr. Keener knows this, he teaches this, but notice that uh, Jesus is an evidentialist. He's telling... <laughs> yeah. You know, he's telling uh, John the Baptist, who's in prison and having some doubts, look at the evidence. Of course I'm the, I'm the one that's come. I'm, I'm doing all these things the Messiah would do. So when you hear people, in fact, I just got a, an email from uh, one of our students in our Cross-Examined Instructor Academy who is concerned because she was teaching apologetics and someone said, oh, you just got to rely on the Holy Spirit. You know, here's here's this woman trying to give evidence that you ought not give evidence, right? <laughs> you ought, you ought, she's using arguments, you ought not use arguments. And one of the retorts to that uh, of many is to say, look, Jesus was using evidence that he is the Messiah. So why shouldn't we? Uh, but the second thing that you bring up there, uh, Dr. Keener, which uh, I, I think is profound when you, you really step back and look at the miracles of Jesus, that Jesus had power over four aspects that human beings don't have power over. He had power over sin. He had power over sickness. He had power over nature. And he had power over death. So friends, when you think about the miracles of Jesus, he did them in those four categories. He was sinless himself. He had power over, uh, over sickness. He could heal people. He had power over nature. He could calm the storm. And he had power over death. Well, those are our problems here on earth. We're sinful. We get sick. Nature can hurt us, and we die. And so he's the Messiah because he does miracles to bring forth God's kingdom in such a way to take away these problems that we have now. That's what Jesus does. His miracles aren't done to, uh, it, uh, to benefit himself. Uh, they're, not, they're not done as kind of entertainment. They're done to say that he is the Messiah, and he can bring forth the kingdom and why isn't the kingdom here yet? Because we're still in a fallen world. And Jesus is one day going to fix the fallen world completely. And he's, and he's going to fix me and you as well. Uh, and, and for evidence that these miracles actually occurred, you can get Dr. Keener's book, two-volume set called Miracles, The Credibility of the New, New Testament Accounts. And, and Dr. Keener also gets into modern-day miracles in here. In fact, I want to ask you a, a theological question here, Dr. Keener, about this. Um, and, and they have to do with the, the signs of an apostle. You know, Christians debate that, whether anyone has the signs of an apostle today, 
like, uh, say, Paul had or Peter had, and they'll say, look, some will say the signs of an apostle were intended to confirm new revelation from God. So if someone has that today, should we be adding books to our Bible? Should we say that everything an apostle, a so-called modern-day apostle says, is on the same level of revelation as uh, as Paul or Peter or anyone else? So there's kind of two questions here. Are there apostles, and do they have signs today? Yeah, there's a, well, actually three questions, because uh, if there are signs, do they confirm new revelation? Yes, yes, you're right, yes. Yeah. So, so go ahead. Uh, <laughs> you got it. Uh, no, which, which order do I do them in? Uh, whatever, whatever order you want. As for whether there are apostles, um, there, there are at least two kinds of definitions of apostles in the New Testament. I actually wish there were a specific definition in the New Testament rather than just examples, because the, uh, I have trouble figuring out exactly what an apostle you know, what encompasses all, all of these examples together. But you mm-hmm. have the Twelve, and usually in the Gospels, and especially in Luke-Acts, um, when it speaks of apostles, it almost always uses it specifically for the Twelve, um, an exception being in Acts 14 for Paul and Barnabas. But Paul often uses the, the term more broadly. So like in 1 Corinthians 15, verses 5-7, through 7, you have... Um, the Twelve and some others, and then all the Apostles. Or uh, he probably speaks of Andronicus and Junia as Apostles in Romans 16-7, although that can be taken different ways grammatically. Um, he speaks of uh, James as an Apostle in Galatians one nineteen. I think it's Second Corinthians 1, where he speaks of uh, Silas and Timothy uh, among, among his fellow Apostles. So Paul seems to use the term uh, a bit more broadly, than, than Luke does. Uh, not that they're contradicting, but that they're just using the, the language in different ways. Mm-hmm. And obviously the Twelve, I think, you know, that's, that's them. There's not, <laughs> no more like that. Uh, and the other, the, the wider definition, I'm not sure if what Paul means by that are like uh, church planters breaking new ground. Uh, that's my best guess but I'm not really sure. But anyway, if that's what it is, obviously we still have church planters breaking new ground. So I, I wouldn't say we can't have apostles today, we, but we can't have the 12 today. Right. And in terms of, uh, in terms of new revelation, um, Hebrews chapter 1 says that that God has spoken to us in these last days by His Son, I don't think we can get any, any deeper revelation than that before the Second Coming. I, mean, I, think, I think we've got what we need, and we have the, the testimony of those who knew Him, uh, or you know, either firsthand or, or secondhand for those who knew them. So I don't see any new theological revelation coming. I, I don't see that the signs and wonders were so much testimony of new revelation is in the sense of new doctrine, but rather that the they're testifying to the, the gospel. It's like in Acts 14, where it says that signs and wonders were done by the hands of, of uh, Paul and Barnabas, and it says that God was confirming the word of His grace. Mm-hmm. So what they're especially confirming 
is is the message of the gospel, um, the message of the kingdom, the message about Jesus. And I can see that is is still being relevant today, uh, and especially where where new ground is being broken. I would make a distinction between signs, which are usually used in these kinds of evangelistic contexts of, of breaking new ground for the kingdom, uh, distinguishing between that and, say, like what you have in James chapter 5. I mean, God can answer a prayer for healing by us getting better gradually. He can answer it by um, us finding some healthier food, or He could answer it through... Uh, Certainly, through doctors today, he can he can answer it in all sorts of ways. It's still God making us better. It's still an answer to prayer, but signs tended to be something that would get people's attention. Sometimes it would invite them to to believe the gospel. Sometimes it sometimes it resulted in persecution for the gospel, but it, it always would get people's attention for the gospel. So, I do believe that there are still signs today. I believe that there can be apostles today in the in the general sense. I I obviously don't believe we have revelation today like like scripture. The the language, um the, the terminology that's usually translated revelation, apocalypsis or uh, reveal apocalypto in, in the New Testament isn't actually limited to scripture. Uh it could be like First uh, Corinthians 14, you know, uh, somebody comes into your assembly and the people are prophesying and the secrets of their hearts are revealed and so on. Those kind of things wouldn't wouldn't be relevant to go in Scripture anyway. Those aren't new doctrinal revelations. Mm. But in mm. terms of new doctrinal revelations, I don't see... Well, first of all, there's no need for it. Secondly, the canon by definition is a measuring stick that we all agree on is closed. Mm-hmm. And so... Yeah, there, there, there's nothing to be to be added to the canon. We're going to talk Am more I to Doctor. Question? Yes, you oh. are. In fact, I'll ask you one follow-on question right after the break. We're talking to Doctor Craig Keener, and his book is Miracles: The Credibility of the New Testament Accounts, two volumes, eleven hundred pages, a footnote after every word, practically so well documented. It takes more faith to believe these miracles didn't occur than to believe they did. And uh, we're going to ask him more about miracles and when. We're going to ask him, why why are many people not healed after you pray? I mean, he's got documentation of people who are healed, but why are they not healed? There's a lot of people. What about someone like Nabil Qureshi? I mean, gee, it seemed like the whole world was praying for him. We're going to talk about that after the break. You're listening to Cross-Examined with Frank Turek on the American Family Radio Network. Website, crossexamined.org. Back in two minutes. Our marathon discussion on a very intriguing topic, Miracles, continues. This is the second of two programs with Dr. Craig Keener. His fabulous two-volume set, Miracles, the credibility of the New Testament accounts, also includes quite a discussion of modern-day miracles and even modern-day satanic signs. And it goes into the history of other supposed uh, unusual events and miracle accounts from other areas of the world. So you're really going to want to get a hold of this two-volume set. It came out in 2011. And uh, before the break, we were talking to Dr. Keener about whether or not people have the gifts of an apostle today. Uh, and Craig, I, I want to follow up on that and, and, and ask for clarification on a couple of uh, aspects of that. One is, it seemed like in the New Testament, for example, that Jesus and the apostles, 
and let's just talk about the apostles after Jesus. Uh, they had the signs of an apostle in the sense that they could heal on command. If there are people today that have what we might call the gift of healing, quite obviously they don't have it in the same to the same degree as the apostles of the New Testament had it. I mean, sometimes they pray for somebody and they don't get healed. First of all, do you go, do do you, do you agree with that? That maybe the the apostles didn't fail at 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 doing it. I know at one point they say, well, they uh, they needed Jesus to help them uh, cast out demons for some reason. But it seemed like they were able to heal at will, whereas today people who who might be able to bring forth the healing through prayer can't do it consistently. Why is that? Yeah, you're certainly right that it doesn't always happen consistently today. Um, in, the, in the New Testament, we do have in Mark 6 where uh, it says that Jesus couldn't do any, any miracle among them because of their unbelief. Mm-hmm. Uh, and we do have, uh, he, he doesn't seem to envision a time in this age when everybody gets healed, because he says, when you have a banquet, invite the disabled and, and, the, and those who can't walk and so on. Um, and also, I think in Acts, you can see uh, the, the height of it with, with the, the 12 in Jerusalem is, is in Acts 5, where, you know, even Peter's shadow touching people. And in Acts 19, you, you see something like that with Paul's ministry, although it doesn't seem to happen throughout Paul's ministry. I mean, before, uh, it happens on, it happens in Acts 28 in Malta, so it, it does happen, but I don't know. I mean, if somebody doesn't get healed, it wouldn't be the kind of thing that they normally would have reason to report, just because we all know that, you know, people get sick, people die. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, the apostles died. <laughs> And right. Nobody, nobody raised him from the dead. So I don't know if everybody always got healed back then. I do know that not everybody always gets healed today. And I, I think that there's a pattern, though. Uh, I, at least so far as I can tell, based on the research I've done and based on what I see in the New Testament, the kind of situations you have in the Gospels and Acts are groundbreaking situations for the kingdom, and where we have these more dramatic signs and wonders clustering, not that uh, that's the only place they ever happen, but they seem to cluster, especially in areas of groundbreaking evangelism today, where new ground is being broken for for the kingdom. So I have some friends in Mozambique, and they uh, actually, the first first couple years where where one of them was praying uh, for the sick, nobody was getting healed, but then it just started happening, which I think shows us something about God's sovereignty in it, but it happens so much. They, they go into um, Muslim villages where there's mm-hmm. no church, and they start uh, preaching, and sometimes they get to pray for people. Sometimes they don't even get to pray for people. It happens before they can pray where people start being healed of blindness or uh, especially deafness, and you know, the next day they can start a church in a, in a village. I've, I've had other scholar friends who've actually gone and and witnessed witnessed these things taking place, and and not everybody gets healed, but the majority of deaf people that they they pray for do get healed in those settings. Outside of those kind of settings, I I don't see those those kind of things happening. So I think it. It has something to do with um, groundbreaking evangelism. Mm. 
So you're saying that's even happening today as you document in your two-volume set on miracles, correct? Yes, although even even the best situations that I know of today, it's not 100% get healed, but it's like 90%. Right. You pointed out Jesus of Nazareth. In Matthew 17, the disciples can't heal a demon-possessed boy. Yeah. Paul leaves uh, one of his colleagues sick. He tells Timothy yeah, to drink wine for his stomach, right? Yeah. He tells Timothy to drink wine for his stomach. He can't heal his, his own thorn in the flesh. Yeah. Um, and as you mentioned, there's, there's the persecution and death of Christians, including the apostles. So I think maybe one thing that maybe throws us is uh, we almost think that this is a formula, that if we follow the right formula— that somehow it's guaranteed yeah. that a miracle is going to occur when we we don't realize that God's a personal agent and yeah. he's in control. You just said God's sovereignty. <laughs> yeah. uh, it seems like we don't realize that. Yeah. I mean, I mean, it just mentions kind of casually in passing as if, you know, we know these kind of things happen. Elisha was sick with the sickness with which he died when a certain king came to visit him. But then later on, after Elisha died, there was a band of, of Arameans coming, and, and the uh, Israelites were, were burying somebody, and they had to hide quickly, so they threw the body in on top of Elisha's bones, and the, and the corpse came back to life. Mm-hmm. You can't say that God's power wasn't still at work in Elisha's even body at that point. I don't know how that works, but, uh, but Elisha himself died of a sickness. So, right. Yeah. Well, we forget God is in control. I mean, he shows us how to pray, but he does not guarantee our desired results. I mean, after all, his yeah. prayer is, thy will be done, <laughs> you know, yes. not my will be done. So I think we need to keep that in mind when we're talking about miracles. And our mutual friend, Nabil Qureshi, I actually uh, I wrote a, uh, uh, an article uh, that's on the stream about why didn't God heal Nabil Qureshi? And I think you've written about it on your blog, too, Craig. Do you want to just uh, comment on that? Why? I mean, here's, here's, here's a guy, for those that don't know, was a, a Muslim, a dedicated Muslim. He became a Christian. He wrote some amazing books, including Seeking Allah, Finding Jesus, and Know God But One. He was bringing many Muslims to Christ, or God was bringing many Muslims to Christ through Nabil's work. And then he gets stomach cancer, and a year later he dies at the age of 34. How do we explain that? Yeah. Well, the answer of how we explain, I don't know. I think someday we'll understand that. but We'll understand a lot of things someday, but um, I just uh, I've grieved so much because thinking of Nabil's role in the kingdom, but also he was a good friend. It's just a mm. just a wonderful, gracious, yep. kind person. Um, it was it was a hard blow, um, but I mean, even when I was praying for him all the time, I mean, I I know God is sovereign. I know it's up to God, but it was like, well, God it it would really make sense <laughs> That's right. from our, from our human perspective, but you know, the Lord knows. Yeah. We don't, we don't know his death might at, at this age might actually in the long term be better for the kingdom. We don't know. Yeah. We don't know how it ripples forward into the future and maybe it magnified his ministry more so than it would have if he had never gotten sick. We don't know. Yeah. Yeah. So, yeah, God uh, is- God is sovereign. We, we can think of a lot of other people who, who died young, including our Lord. <laughs> yes, um, <laughs> yes, we forget that, don't we? In fact, yeah. Nabil and our Lord died about the same age. Pretty close. Yes, yes. Uh, 
Now, Craig, the uh, accounts in the New Testament, um, as we we say, there there were these bursts of of miracles that uh, really launched the church. And you're saying that in your book, your two volumes said again, we're talking to Dr. Craig Keener called Miracles. You've seen some of these, or you've have accounts of some of these bursts of miraculous activity. Do you want to just talk about one or two of them where many people were saved as a result of this burst of, uh, of miraculous activity, maybe in an area that didn't have the gospel to that point? Sure. Uh, and and some, some of these were areas not that nobody had ever witnessed there before, but they have what missiologists call a people movement. Mm-hmm. For example, one of uh, a friend of mine, Douglas Norwood, was ministering among an unreached area of Suriname. Now, Suriname has a lot of Christians, but this was a, a Hindu stronghold in, in Suriname. And it was a place in Suriname, Nickery, where for like centuries there had only been a, a few hundred Christians, and now the the Christian churches were competing against each other for the same members. Hopefully, that would never happen anywhere else, right? But anyway, <laughs> um, he he was he was leading uh, some ministry there, and the the Christians banded together and they prayed and they began to repent of their divisions from one another, and and they. They experienced a deep move of the Holy Spirit on them. They went out and started evangelizing, and the, their neighbors were like, whoa, we never saw the Christians act this way before. What's going on? Mm-hmm. And a lot of them came to the church service that night where Doug was going to be preaching, and Doug tells me that there was this one guy in front of him, uh, and he also includes this in his Doctor uh, of Ministry dissertation. There was this one guy in front of him who was paralyzed on one side of his body, and apparently had been that way all his life, was now in his 70s or 80s or something. And the man started shouting, look, I don't, I don't believe in your God. I don't believe in my God. No God has ever done anything for me. He said, I defy this Christian God. And all of a sudden, his paralyzed arm shot up in the air. He looked at it. He was converted. The people around him looked at it. They were converted. And over the next few years, Tens of thousands of people in Nickery, Suriname, became believers in Christ. It's a it's a documented people movement, and uh, there's another such movement among the Nishi tribal people that started with with a sign. In in that case, uh, and it's in a, it's in a dissertation about how the how the gospel came to the Nishi tribal people, but uh, in northeast India, they they there were no known Christians among them. There was a government official whose son was was dying, and sacrifices to different gods hadn't helped. Medicines that were available didn't help. Finally, the pharmacist said, well, try praying to Jesus, the Christian God. It said that he raised somebody named Lazarus from the dead. The official found his son dead, as far as anybody could tell. And, you know, this is no guarantee, this is no formula, but... Anyway, he, he, he said, Jesus, the Christian God, if you raise my son from the dead, I'll become your follower. And his son came back to life. And following that, just a vast proportion of the Nishi tribal people became Christians. Wow. We're talking to Dr. Craig Keener. All this is in his two-volume set called Miracles, the Credibility of the New Testament Accounts. As you can tell, it's not just the New Testament, but modern-day miracles. You need to check it out. 
We'll have another segment, a final segment with Dr. Keener. You're loving this. I am. Don't go away. We're back in two minutes. Miracles. Do they happen today? What about in the New Testament? We're talking to Craig Keener. His two-volume set, Miracles, is must-reading. And if you've been listening to this podcast or radio program and the one prior, you know how fascinating this material is. And by the way, why are miracles so important? Because look, if the greatest miracle, the resurrection, hasn't occurred, the greatest miracle in Christianity hasn't occurred, then Christianity's false. Everything hinges on the resurrection. If the resurrection occurred, Christianity's true. Game over. If the resurrection hasn't occurred, Christianity's false. Game over. And as you point out, Craig, as I've said many times on, on this program, the resurrection is easy to believe if the first verse of the Bible is true. You even talk about in the book of miracles, because if the universe exploded into being out of nothing, then it seems like a spaceless, timeless, immaterial, powerful, moral, personal, intelligent creator created it. And if that's the case, if the first verse is true, God can raise Jesus from the dead and do every other miracle in the Bible. Because if the first verse is true, the other miracles are possible. And you point that out in miracles. Uh, but Craig, let's, let's go back to the question of, of why isn't everybody healed? Um, and, and if you look at, for example, James 5, it seems to say, like, you know, if you, if you pray for somebody and anoint them with oil, they will be healed. But that's not always the case. Why not? Well, yeah. I mean, and I think James himself must have understood it. I mean, he knew that people died. Uh, James chapter 5 also speaks of, you know, you, you condemn and put the righteous person to death. So, I mean, if he knows people die, he knows that not everybody always gets healed of, of everything. Uh, but it's, I guess, the expectation that we would have. Uh, but again, I would distinguish the, the healing from, like, dramatic signs and wonders. It's like, yeah, we, we can normally expect that people get better, but... Uh, I wish I wish I understood how to. Uh, I wish I understood how it worked better. I I can give you something on why we can recognize that not everybody gets healed, even mm-hmm. though I can't explain why it happens to this person and not to that person. Right. But uh, earlier I talked about Jesus' signs of the kingdom mm-hmm. and how he how he communicated that to John the Baptist that this is a foretaste of the coming world, Isaiah thirty five, Isaiah sixty one, and so forth. Jesus signs were pointing to something to come. They're a foretaste. And so, you know, when when it's groundbreaking evangelism it may be happening all over the place. But in other kinds of contexts, maybe we don't see it as much. But if anybody gets healed if God does a sign for anybody, it's it's a blessing to all of us, because it's a reminder of God's promise of a time when He's going to wipe away every tear from our eyes, when there's going to be no more sickness, there's going to be no more death. We're not there yet. We're still awaiting the consummation of the kingdom, but we have the foretaste of it. And mm-hmm. so, you know, we can we can pray for that. We certainly should celebrate it when when God does it, and. And, and look for what God is going to do. And I also think that there's something deeper in the Gospels than these signs, as, as, as beautiful and as wonderful as they are, and that is in the cross. Because in the cross we see that even when it looks like God is silent 
looks like God is just letting injustice take its course. God is still at work to bring about His purposes. Mm. And that takes the promise even deeper, because we can believe Him even in the midst of darkness. I think often as well, Dr. Keener, we're talking to Craig Keener, his two-volume set, Miracles You Need to Get. I think a lot of times, uh, if if miracles occurred more frequently, we'd be more concerned with the sign than the sign giver. In fact, yeah. when when um, Jesus, when the 72 returned, it says, with joy, and said, Lord, even the demons submit to us in your name, Jesus said this. He said, I saw Satan fall like lightning from heaven. I have given you authority to trample on snakes and scorpions and to overcome all the power of the enemy. Nothing will harm you. Then he says this, however, do not rejoice that the spirits submit to you, but rejoice that your names are written in heaven. Exactly. Which seems to indicate that he's saying, look, miracles are just a means to the end. And you should be, you should be more uh, happy and more joyful about the fact that you're saved then you can cast out demons. And yes. the, the, the signs, as you put it, Dr. Keener, are really there to put forth the truth of the gospel, not to demonstrate that so-and-so has the power to do anything. Yeah, yeah, you're exactly right. Yeah, and that's something that a lot of people need to be reminded of today, because there, there are circles where, you know, rightly we, we're, we're happy that God did a sign, but there are circles where people... Um, fixate on the signs, and they they forget the, the giver. Mm, and exactly. It can get kind of bizarre after that. <laughs> right, right. I, I'm teaching through this whole miracle question on our TV show, and I've created a, a slide here on it. I just want to mention a couple of things on it before I'm going to ask you a final question or two, and that is, if you think about it, if miracles were under our control or they occurred more frequently, first of all, we'd think they're a part of the natural world. We wouldn't even recognize exactly. them as miracles, right? They, the very nature mm-hmm. of a miracle has to be rare up against a the backdrop mm-hmm. of regular events, which means the resurrection of Christ would largely be ignored if resurrections occurred frequently. I think also right. few would graduate to, would die and graduate to heaven because if we could either raise people from the dead or prevent them from dying, how would they ever go meet the Lord, you know? <laughs> and then many of our choices wouldn't have consequences. Like if I got mad and, and you know, and shot my, my friend, but I could raise him from the dead, then, then my, my, my sin wouldn't really have any consequence temporally. I think we'd become even more selfish and entitled because we could correct any bad thing we did. Our choices would be trivial. Our personal and moral growth would be thwarted. Evil would also be more difficult to stop. Imagine if, if Hitler's henchmen could have resurrected him from the dead whenever he, whenever he died. You know, so so yeah. God does get, get rid of evil through the fact that, that we die. I think a love relationship with God would be much more unlikely because we'd cling more to this world if we could always stay in this world. And I think God would become our butler rather than our, than our savior if, if, if yeah. miracles were under our control and they, or they occurred more often. So I think there's a lot of reasons yeah. to, and I'm speculating on a lot of this, but I, I think there's a lot of reasons to, to, to say, you know, miracles shouldn't happen more often than they already do. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, well, I wouldn't mind if they happened a little bit more often. But Yeah, me too. You're <laughs> right. I, yeah. I'm, I'm, <laughs> but we can understand why but, they don't. Yeah, exactly. Uh, let me ask you another question that I, I think 
will kind of sum up our entire two-hour discussion on this. And that is, you spent, I don't know how many years, pulling all this incredible information together in this two-volume set called Miracles. But since writing the book, since having to do the research for the book and actually writing it, and, and you, 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 you get all this testimony of miracles, how has your view of God changed? Has your theology changed? Has your view of God changed at all? I think my relationship with him has changed because the book that I wrote right before it was Historical Jesus of the Gospels, and I was I was using very rigorous historical methodology, which has its place, but, you know, it was kind of minimalist. It's like, um, let me get evidence for this and evidence for this and evidence for this. If I don't have evidence, I'm not going to deal with this this issue. And, and I got into such a habit of mind that... I, I, you know, my wife would say something to me, and I'd say, "Can you give me evidence for that assertion?" You know, whether you are an egalitarian or a complementarian, you will probably get in trouble if you say that to your wife. <laughs> That's well, right. anyway, uh, uh, and, because and I, I said so, I Craig. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. uh, and it, she helped me to to realize you've got a reliable witness that itself is is evidence. And so, you know, I started this being fairly rigorously skeptical when I would go in and interview people. Not that I didn't believe in miracles in principle, but I wasn't going to like just jump at any miracle testimony. But after a while, the cumulative effect of it was such that, you know, like you said, if one of them is true, then it, it does away with the argument that uniform human experience rules them out. And, and I have to listen to these other accounts as well. Um, some of them some of them meet a very high bar of evidence. You know, it, it, it depends on where you place the bar of evidence, but for, for ordinary expectations, I mean, most of them met, you know, here were credible eyewitnesses. And uh, so it, it, changed, it changed me because I realized that I had just taken my scholarly um, skepticism and it, it, it colored the way I looked at the world. And instead, I should look at the world and just see God's God's handiwork everywhere. I mean, not just where you see a miracle, but, you know, I, I don't need to walk around like a skeptic. I need to walk around like a believer. Mm-hmm. And i got to ask you one last thing, in about a 30-second response, because we're running out of time. Uh, you'll get the objection quite a bit that, uh, well, this stuff only appears to happen in third-world countries. Why don't we see it here more? How would you respond to that? Oh, we do see it here. I mean, we see it more in places of groundbreaking evangelism, and I think we see it more in places where people are more open to believing it, where it would have a bigger impact, and where mm. people are uh, more likely to pay attention to it and recount it. But uh, but it does happen here, too. And some of the examples I've given, like Barbara Comiskey-Snyder or Greg right. Spencer or Lisa Larios, I mean, those were, those, or Chauncey Crandall, uh, somebody being raised from the dead that He's a doctor. He he was there when it happened. Hmm. Um, they're they're attested here as well. Wow. Well, Craig, it's been an absolute joy having you on for this week and the previous week. You're doing such wonderful work. Thanks so much for being on. Well, I I appreciate it so much, Frank. Thank you so much for having me. That's Dr. Craig Keener again. CraigKeener.com. You need to go there now. And he puts out so much great information that's going to enrich your life and help you understand Christianity and God more. And that's what it's all about, to know God and to make him known. And you, get the, you need to get the two-volume set called Miracles, the credibility of the New Testament accounts, 
we've only scratched the surface, friends. I mean, it's it's pretty compelling evidence when you read this these two volumes. It's amazing, actually. So thanks to Dr. Keener. Thanks to you for listening. Go back and listen to last week if you haven't listened to it yet. And we'll see you again next week. God bless. I'm Frank Turek. See you then. The views and opinions expressed in this broadcast do not necessarily reflect those of the American Family Association or American Family Radio.